Heavenly Father, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Look with compassion upon the heartfelt desires of your servants, and purify our disordered affections, that we may behold your eternal glory in the face of Christ Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, did you all uh, get loaded up on toilet paper this week? Yeah. <laughs> that's, well, that's good. If you, if you didn't and you see some here in this church, don't take it home with you, okay? We're, we're, we're missing a bottle of uh, hand sanitizer, and so we have our suspicions that we've been robbed as it is. These things that are valuable today that weren't so valuable a week ago even, it's kind of weird. If you've turned on the news this week, you, it, it's kind of mesmerizing. You, you like turn it on and you just can't, you can't walk away because the pace in which this pandemic has developed and the effects it's had from, you know, this is something that's far off. Okay, it's a few people. Oh, now. And, and, and really still the numbers are not all that great, but then the reaction uh, is huge. And then the emotional reaction is even greater than probably what is warranted. And so, uh, you know, we get this talk of all the college sports, pro sports, even even NASCAR uh, postponing races. It's just weird. And all these things closing, it's easy to get into this, like, mob mentality, then rush to the store and find what we can hoard because we don't know if, how close the end is or something, I guess. I, I can't explain what we're seeing or experiencing, but we are seeing and experiencing it. And it's, and it's, and it's pretty, it's pretty wild. And it's pretty wild in how concerned we are over these things, yet spiritual matters don't really seem to affect us a whole lot in so many cases. But this, this thing of mob mentality is easy to fall into. And mob mentality played a part in the story of Jesus and in Jesus' plan. And it, and, uh, through this mob mentality, uh, Pilate, shows his um, failure to uphold truth, but that is all used to advance the plan of redemption in Jesus. And I think through this lesson today, I think what is in it for us is that if you are not grounded in the truth, you will have um, no commitment to it when you need it most. So if you, if you have no commitment to truth, you will have, um, or if you're not grounded in the truth, you will have no commitment to it when you need it most. And I think this, this unfolding story as we're going through, and as, as, a, as a reminder, we're in the last days of Jesus. Um, he, was, he was arrested. He was tried. He was tried first in the religious court, and then he was tried in the secular court. He had been first, he first came to Pilate, Pilate uh, found no wrong in him, but uh, in order to appease the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, he sent him on to Herod, thinking that Herod, with his hard heart, certainly would take care and, and side with the Jewish leaders. Well, Herod found no guilt in him. This is last week, what we talked about. Herod found no guilt in him and sent him back then to Pilate. So now he's back in Pilate's court and, and Pilate has to do something with him and he has to do something. He's, the, the growing tension 
is what do you do with this Jesus who you found no guilt in? And then what do you do with the raging crowd that's continuing to build and in their, in their numbers as well as their uh, passion for what they're asking? Pilate and Herod were enemies prior to this uh, scene, but now they had a common enemy. And I don't know that it's really Jesus. I think it's the Jewish leaders, and they're both dealing with them. So it's through this common enemy of Jesus slash the Jewish leaders that these two enemies are brought together. They have something they can both bond over in this evil that's taking place in their midst. So this brings us to our current passage, and the first thing I think we're going to see is that we, are temp- that we can be tempted by truth. This is what Pilate was, and that sounds odd. You think that I'm saying we're tempted for evil, we're tempted for uh, dishonesty, etc. But in this in this uh, story, I think Pilate is tempted by truth, and and we can be as well. And we'll, you know, Lord willing, we'll develop that thought as we go. Uh, look with me, if you will, uh, verse 13 to begin with. It says, Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people. And he said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod. For he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. So he's got a plan. Now, Peter had this love-hate, or Pilate, sorry, Peter, Peter's not in this story. Pilate uh, had a love-hate relationship with the Jewish leaders. Now, he, Pilate, was a ruthless man, and uh, he, he, he would he would resort to murder and evil, vile um, actions in order to accomplish what he wanted. So, this is the kind of guy he is, and he was rather brash. His predecessors, as they would march into Jerusalem, have the armies march into Jerusalem, they would lower their um, shields, which... Uh, had Caesar on him. So when you're coming into Jerusalem and you and you know how these Jewish people are and their issue of idolatry, you don't want to stir them up. So in order to kind of appease those people, the the other leaders before Pilate would have their armies lower their shields of uh, Caesar as they came into the city. Well, this guy, Pilate, when he's in charge, he creates a riot because he doesn't do that. So we, you know, how we don't like change. You know, my favorite ch- church joke is, how do you change? How many parishioners does it take to change a light bulb? Change? What do you mean change? That's that's typically how we think of change in the church and by our tradition. If we've traditionally done something some way, then who are you to change this? Pilate comes in, he's not asking anybody for anything, he's not trying to appease anybody, and he has his uh, soldiers come in and leave their their uh, shields up with Caesar on them, and he's giving he's giving not an inch to these uh, these people, the Jewish people. And so a riot breaks out. And Josephus, the Jewish historian, recorded this act. 
So this is how we know. And then uh, on another occasion, Pilate took the uh, Corbin treasury from the temple, which is set aside for use for God's purposes only, and he took that money to build an aqueduct. Need a little infrastructure going on here, so we'll just take it out of the treasury of the temple. Okay, these are these are things worth being upset about if you're a a uh, faithful Jewish person and you're being robbed for this purpose. If 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 the uh, the city came in and robbed our treasury so we could pave our streets, we should be upset. So this is that kind of thing. But um, it may have been Pilate's eagerness to kind of goad the Jewish leaders on that made him seem to be at odds with them for this heartless man who could be downright cruel. He's displaying an unusual sensitivity when it comes to this Jesus. It's as almost, it's almost as if he actually cares about Jesus and almost cares for truth. So as a Roman official, he would have had pride in keeping a uh, evenly handed justice system. He, he wanted to, it was, it was, that was their thing, that we have like this blind justice. So he would have had pride in that. But last week we learned that justice is related to truth. And Pilate was being tempted by the truth to do the right thing. He put it back on the Sanhedrin to build their case and prove their claims. But they couldn't do it. And Pilate said, nothing deserving death has been done. I will therefore punish and release him. So this is the second time he, Pilate, has found Jesus innocent and and proclaimed so in this text. This is the third time in total because if you include Herod, where he sent him to Herod. Now, we're already up to three proclamations of a through a trial system that he is innocent. Jesus is innocent. But was Pilate actually motivated or, as I'm saying, tempted by truth? And I, th- and I think he was. I just, I just don't know that he, he couldn't follow through. And we know the story, so we know he didn't follow through. But in this, in this moment, in the crucible of this decision, he's being tempted by truth, but will he follow or not? In Matthew's Gospel, he's, it, Matthew writes about Pilate's wife having a dream and said to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. So her message to her husband was, listen to me, Pilate, he is innocent. Have nothing to do with this. Wash your hands of this deal. Get away from it. So he had this in his ear as well. And then there was something in him where he's not totally hard-hearted as maybe Herod was. And there's something that there's this sensitivity to know that there's nothing deserving death that Jesus has done. And he's not unfamiliar with the um, moving around, uh, shifting things that the religious leaders of the Jewish people would be doing. 
So he attempts to be giving every opportunity for um, the Jewish leaders to save face and to release Jesus. But his temptation to hold to the truth would give way as he was tempted more by the crowd. So in verse 18 it says, But they all cried out together, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify, crucify him. So at this point, mob mentality is kicked in. It's now not only the Jewish leaders, not only the Sanhedrin who is trying to do away with Jesus, but now it's the people who are turning. They've switched sides. They, 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 they were on Jesus' side not many uh, hours, really, or days ago. Now they've switched sides. Now they're, part, uh, they're, they're taking the uh, party line with the Sanhedrin and saying, crucify him, away with this man. They joined their voices and said, away with this man, release Barabbas. And Barabbas was this man who was sent to prison. It, there was a, there apparently was no question as to his guilt that he started an insurrection in the city. And he committed murder. So verse 20 says that the Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. And the people, only a few days before, they liked having this lair between them and the Jewish leadership. They liked having this antagonistic figure uh, to challenge the Jewish leadership. When Jesus would rail on the Pharisees and, and the Sanhedrin, th- the people were saying, yes, finally, somebody's speaking up for us. Finally, somebody's putting it back on them. But now we advance just a little while. And he has moved from their ally to their enemy. And they yell, crucify, crucify him. The winds had quickly shifted. And a few days, even before this, is when he entered town. So, And we'll celebrate that on Palm Sunday, on like uh, April 5th is Palm Sunday, then on April 12th is Easter. But on April... April 5th, as we celebrate Palm Sunday, we do this because as he entered the sea, there was great celebration, and the palm branches were being laid down, and they were waving palm branches at him, laying their cloaks on the ground, and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which means, Lord, come save us, days before. But mob mentality had kicked in then, too. All the people that lined up on the on this street as he was coming into town who were shouting the Hosannas, did they know? Did they know what this Messiah would look like? What is it that they were expecting? When they didn't get what they were expecting, how did they respond? And this is what we're seeing. They were expecting a... um, political or military leader who was going to overthrow the government, and when they found a humble servant who would keep quiet when persecuted, they turn. This is not, this is not the leader we wanted. 
This is not the kind of Savior we wanted just a few days ago. We were not looking for a Savior who was not going to do what we wanted to do. I think many times we can fall into that same trap as... as um, and we, we read about the, the mob mentality in the Old Testament as the Israelites are looking for water, and now they were wondering, is God even there? And I think with mob mentality, if we're not careful, if we're not grounded in the truth, we can fall into, is God even real? Is God even here? Bruce Shelley, in our uh, church history book that we're reading, when he was writing about a, a totally different time in church history, he had this line in it, which stuck out to me and others, said, 10,000 people telling a lie do not turn that lie into the truth. In this case, the thousands yelling, crucify him, doesn't make Jesus guilty. So what is Pilate to do? He has to wrestle with this. And though that number grew and his opposition grew, and that doesn't make it true, it swayed Pilate. So he was persuaded by the crowd. He may have been tempted by the truth originally, but then he was tempted more by the crowd. Where will you stand when you are tempted for the truth? Will you stand for truth? Are you grounded in the truth enough to stand against a crowd? To take unpopular positions because it's true. That's not an easy thing to do. And there are a lot of things I find people taking hard stands on that are almost irrelevant. Uh, in church world, we call those color of the carpet kind of issues. So I don't like red. You, co- you chose red. Who the thunder would ever choose red for the carpet in the church? I want it blue. I'm out of here. That seems very insignificant. There are plenty of things that people are proclaiming as their, as, as their things they're going to stand on. It's kind of like bumper stickers. I find it interesting to see what people would put on the, and if you got these, uh, you know, just here, this is just me. This, I'm just back to old Jim now. If you got bumper stickers all over the back of your car, I will find it interesting what you stand for enough to put a sticker on your car. I'm hard pressed to put a sticker on my car because I've tried to get them off before. And sometimes you put stickers on your cars, like those, you know, sometimes you, you run around and you, you can still see some uh, old political stickers from like a long time ago. And you're like, yeah, okay, that didn't go well. So what do you do with that? You, you just leave it on your car. And then you take another and paste it over, I guess. And and you're like, okay, what do you... I, I, I There are other things that run through my mind about what do you want to stand for long enough uh, that you would be willing to make it so permanent as a sticker on your car. There are other things that cross my mind about that too. Because times change. And what I'm feeling passionate about today, and you know, today it was about red carpet. Next week I might not care about red carpet. Red carpet may not have a great influence on my real personal relationship with Jesus. And maybe one day I figure that out. But it's these side things, I think, that people will stand for truth because um, they have nothing else to stand for. They don't, they don't know of how to prioritize truth. 
So I will argue with you over small things that are inconsequential to our faith and let big things go as the, as the, perhaps the denomination shifts, as our theological groundings and moorings shift. Ultimately, we see a trade. So we, he's been, and we can be tempted by truth, tempted by a crowd. Then there's a trade. So in verse 22, it says, A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. This is the second time he said this. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. I, 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 the passage I find to be just very interesting. And it's one of these things where, okay, I'm tired of arguing with you. I will give you what you want. And I think this applies to, in a, in a, in a practical level, about so many so many things and so many of our relationships that if we're not grounded in truth, not willing to stand for truth, what we want to do is get rid of the, the, the nuisance. If you will just quit barking in my ear, I will give you what you want. You know, no, no, my child, you have not had a full meal, but you're asking for a piece of cake, but you keep barking loud enough, I'll just give you the cake. Why? To get you to shut up. Because I really care about me. My, ultimately, I don't care about you as much as I care about me. And what I really want is for you to be quiet. And so if that's what it takes, it's what I do. This is where we are. This is what this leadership is looking like. So it's a, this is a test in integrity. Pilate gave him ample opportunity to release Jesus. And he once again asked what Jesus had done to deserve death. And, and he, Pilate, proclaimed Jesus as innocent. Again. But the crowd stepped up their threats. They're getting very annoying. They're, they're growing in number. They're growing in volume. John records in his gospel, John 19, 12, it says, From this, truth is not subjective. He was a driven man. That's not what we think of when we think of a weak man. But when it came time for standing for truth, he wouldn't stand. This is a sign of a very weak man. He didn't fear God. He feared man. He didn't, he didn't fear, um, how he would stand. And I, and I think there was some fear moving in him when the, when the wife was whispering in his ear about this dream. I think there's this fear thing setting in, this kind of, what do I do with this? But ultimately, he feared man, the crowd, Caesar, his position, more, then he feared God. We can be tempted to do the same. He felt superior then to all those around him. And then he refused to humble himself and learn. And they were like angels. You take two of them and they're not so much angel. You take three of them and you had your hands full. One boy's a boy, two boys is a half boy, three boys is no boy at all. I know the grammar's wrong, which is the way Papa, or Grandpa said it. That's how he said it. And his, his was in his grandpa or whoever told him this was in the context of, uh, 
grubbing, uh, chopping brush and, and clearing land. You take one boy, you could get a good bit of work out of him. You put three of them together, you get no work out of him. This is mob mentality, and, the, and, and what's going on here is this desire to sink to the lowest level of the mob. This story, I think, is extremely interesting, where the people turn from praising Jesus only days before to being his enemy and wanting to crucify him. They sunk to mob mentality. They would not stand on their own. Pilate would not stand on his own. How often do we do this today? How often do we fall into the trap of sinking to the mob mentality around us? Are there people who we hang out with and we don't influence them, but they influence us? And so in their bad behavior, I get near them. I start acting in bad behavior. It's contagious. And I think we all have different temptations. That means different things to different people, and I get that. But I think it's something we have to wrestle with. And how often do we get sucked in to things? I, I, th- I think our social media, this whole world we live in these days, I think that's a place where it's easy to get sucked into things. And you're like, I could argue that. I could, man, I could, I could level that argument in a heartbeat. But maybe that's not what's best for you. Maybe it's not for you to sink to the lowest level. The story where things get turned in days, inside this story, things are turned in it as well. So these people refuse to free the innocent man. But they free the guilty man. The place. This, my friends, is the gospel. We are Barabbas. We are the guilty ones. We are the ones who stand in judgment under the wrath and curse of Almighty, Holy God. May we be grounded in the truth so that we may stand in the time of testing. And may we rest in Christ Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.